Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. And welcome to Financials Podcast, Future Rich. My name is Barbara Ginty, and I'm your host. And I am also a CFP, which stands for a Certified Financial Planner. And I'm here today with my guest, Lauren. Hi, Lauren. Hello. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for the spreadsheet. You know, I love a good Excel spreadsheet. Yeah, no problem. because I, I love Excel. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Um, so why don't you... Um, Fill me and our listeners in. Give us the overview for age, location, uh, marital status, all that jazz. Sure. So I'm 27 years old. I live in Connecticut with my boyfriend. Um, We are not married. Uh, As far as my job goes, I'm an actuary. So essentially, it's a lot of lot of math, a lot of Excel. Um, I analyze the cost of of retirement benefits. Oh, yeah. this makes actuary is a tough role because you have the have you taken your actuarial exams? I'm on kind of the second set of exams. I'm officially an actuary, but I have more exams to go. So yeah, it's quite, it's a quite the process. Do you want to give everybody an overview of what it is? Yeah, so essentially, I think to get your designation, you have to pass something like five exams, each of which yeah. take a couple hundred hours, you know, two or three hundred hours to study for. Um, and then you also have to do like a bunch of projects. And so it usually takes, I think it took me about three years to get my designation. And then I have another like three years to get kind of a higher level of designation. So it's just lot, lots of studying. Yeah, <laughs> I have to do it. And it's quite the process. Yeah, it really is. It, I mean, the nice thing about it is essentially I'm getting more schooling, but I don't have to pay for it. My employer pays for it. So, so it's a pretty sweet deal. Yeah, that's fantastic. So you were probably like a, a math major, I take it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> awesome. And so you work in retirement or you analyze retirement benefits? Yes. Great. Well, so I think that's partly why I'm so concerned about, about the financial, my financials. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Okay, so you're 27 um, in Connecticut, an actuary, working in retirement. Um, and how much do you make? 
did you say? I make 96000 a year. Fantastic. And then and I also get, get bonuses. Perfect. And you probably will get pay raises as you go through your exam process, right? Yeah, I, I still have a little bit to go. I think I'm starting to near kind of where my salary levels out, but I have a little okay. bit. Okay, a little bit of room. Perfect. So 96000 gross, and then you get bonuses, which is which is wonderful. Um, yeah, perfect. I would estimate about fifteen grand a year in bonuses. That's awesome. Okay, great. And then um, you're renting, right? Um, so I actually own a triplex. Okay. And I live in one of the units. Triplex. So it's three units. Yes. Okay. Because I was looking at the spreadsheet and I was like, I see rent line item, but then I also saw a house on here. So I was like, hmm. Yeah. So the way I think about it, and maybe you have a better way to look at it, is I try to keep my house separate from my personal life. So I kind of pay myself rent as far as how I keep track of my budget. And then the house you know, makes or lose money, loses money on its own. So you treat it as a business. So you have basically the property that you own and you rent from your property is the way you view it. That's the way I look at it. I don't think it's the yeah. way it's on my taxes, but it makes yeah. more sense to me. <laughs> That's totally fine. And that makes more sense now that I'm looking at your spreadsheet because I was like, huh. I was looking at it and I was like, I don't, I wasn't totally sure, but that makes total sense. I actually do that with my business. My business rents, rents pays rent to my property. And so I mark it down as rent. Because then you're treating it as an entity and you're trying to make sure it has a profit on its own. Because um, if it wasn't you renting, it would be somebody else, right? Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Okay. Um, that's great. So you have two tenants then? Yes. I love a good side hustle. So that's a side hustle. How long have you owned it? Um, how did you, what type of mortgage did you end up getting for it? Because usually that it works differently when it's more than single family. Um, so I just have a conventional 30-year mortgage, fixed-rate mortgage. Uh, I bought it in July 2019, so it hasn't been all that long. And I kind of kind of fell into it. I was initially just looking for a house and then figured it would be better to uh, go the route of a multifamily. Yeah, absolutely. And how is it with the te- – so you have two tenants. How is it managing that? Because you obviously have a serious career. Yeah, they've been great. I mean, it's relatively limited work. Um and it also helps that I'm in a kind of a fairly desirable area with lots of young professionals. So we were able to get really good tenants. It's, you know, a lot of it's just about screening uh, your tenants. Yeah, absolutely. Because that makes or breaks it. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, so let's go over your expenses. So maybe we'll do your expenses and then talk, uh, keep the house separate. Is that okay. cool? Okay. So your net pay, do you want it? We'll break it down. Maybe so for like a monthly amount, just to keep it a little even since expenses here are monthly. Yeah. So you bring home about, we'll just use round numbers, like 5,300 a month. Yes. Perfect. Um, and then rent is 600 um, with, you know, heat, electric, Wi-Fi. We're at 125, car insurance, gas, dog. We add all of this up. Everything seems like very reasonable. Um, your total for the month comes to, we'll just call it 2,700. Yeah. And I think that's where it gets a little difficult is I've not been the best about budgeting. I just okay. kind of look at are my savings going up or down. Um, and that may be something I need to work on. And so if you, you'll see on my thing, I have a thousand dollars listed for food, drinks, entertainment. Mm-hmm. And essentially that's just a black hole. Like I have no ah. clue where that money is going. It was like, I know I've been spending about 
$2,700 a month, I can come up with these other expenses and then a thousand just falls into a black hole every month, which is probably not the best way to manage your finances. <laughs> hey, it, the first step is recognizing it. It's the first step. Okay, so we will figure out the black hole. We'll see what's going on over there. And then, um, do, do, do. And then I'm just looking at a few other things here. So even with the black hole, right? So you have like a, basically like around, you should have about 2,600 left over a month. Yeah. Um, And I also see that you put down like a post-COVID budget. So obviously you're saving a bit of money with COVID. Yeah, in theory. Last year, like 2020, I spent probably more money because of COVID because I was just kind of, I think, treating myself a lot. But this year I've gotten things back on track. And so I am saving money as a result of COVID. Okay, perfect. I always, you know, that's good. Nice to try and take advantage a little. So, okay, so we're doing fine from like a cash flow standpoint, meaning like what you have coming in versus what you have going out. We have excess. So then let's talk about, so you, your household budget looks fine. We can, we'll tweak it here and there, but um, we'll figure out what to do with the black hole. And then what about the property that supports itself up, I think I would imagine? Yeah. So right now, I mean, this year it's doing pretty well because I haven't had many expenses, but based on my kind of estimates, mm-hmm. um, after accounting for, you know, the cost expenses with the property and vacancy, um, I expect to bring in about 600 a month uh, from the property. Um, and that's with me living here, doing snow removal and lawn care. Um, yep. okay. I would have to pay 320 a month, for, most likely for a property manager if I was to move out and decide not to manage it. And okay. then I'd also have to pay for lawn care and snow removal. So it, would, it definitely, it would pay for itself, but I would not be bringing in a lot of money. From it. Yeah. So it would cover its costs. You would have another asset on your ballot, you know, on your net worth statement, but you wouldn't be making as much money. So right now you're making about 600 a month and you're not including that in your income. No. The income we were looking at is just your salary. So then you get another approximate 600 from the property. Correct. So if you think about it, it almost negates your rent. You're almost living rent-free. Yeah, I essentially am living rent-free. Right. Yeah, okay. Uh, and just another way to look at it because I that's fantastic because I do encourage people to try and – usually one of the biggest issues I see for people is they're spending too much on housing um, and that prevents using your money for other things. Um, so you nailed that. That's fantastic. So what? let's talk about then debt and savings. So it looks like – um, cause I have like the spreadsheet here, so it makes it much easier for me. <laughs> um, so it looks like you have a little bit of debt just for furniture and, but then you're doing a really good job with all your savings. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So I had bought uh, some furniture last year and I think I had like six months interest free. So I just went ahead and put it Perfect. on credit. Um, but I'll, I plan on paying that off as soon as the interest, the six month period expires. Okay. Um, and then beyond that, I don't have any Debt. I have about a hundred and thirty grand in retirement uh, savings, Perfect. and that consists of a four hundred one k, Roth IRA, and an HSA account. Um, and then additionally, I have about seventy grand of equity in the house, a uh, couple grand in treasuries, and sixty thousand in cash. Which I think the cash is super important because, as you said, you haven't had any major uh, maintenance. Um, issues with the house. So that's great that you have a really solid emergency fund. So I probably should add to to that, but I am planning on buying another house with that cash. Ah, okay. Yeah. So I may need to true up my emergency fund a little bit. Um, I expect to probably spend about 
somewhere around 40 grand on another house, which will leave me around 20 grand left over. Okay. So, well, at least you still have liquidity, which is good. So walk me through. So what are you doing with the next house? Will that be for you or what, what are you thinking? No, that's purely an investment property. Ah, music to my ears. Okay. So is it in the same vicinity? What's the profit and loss going to look like on that? No, so it's, it's an interesting story. I, mean, I haven't found the specific house yet, but I'm um, looking out of state because my men- I have a mentor that lives out of state. And so he's kind of on the ground uh, looking for houses and will ultimately be the property manager. Okay. Um, and so the houses I've been looking at, you know, vary a little bit, but they'll take somewhere around 40 grand down. And I expect to make between five and 7,000 a year from what I, based on the numbers I've run so far. Perfect. Can I ask what state it's in? Uh, upstate New York. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, you can tell me offline if you want, but I'm from upstate New York. So very curious. Um, oh, me too. Oh, you are? I'm from Woodstock originally. Oh, awesome. Very nice. Okay, great. So then you're going to have an additional revenue stream coming in there, and then you'll have a property manager. And that's what you expect to, um, in finance speak, mean net, meaning you'll, you think you'll pocket between five and 7000 a year. Yeah, that's after like accounting for vacancy and all expenses. Perfect. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, so I would, especially since you right now, your budget is a little, you're saving, it looks like about 500 a month between your current expenses and what you think it'll be post COVID, like when you can go to a gym again and you have to um, spend more on gas, right? Those sort of expenses. Um, So I would definitely put a little bit more towards the emergency fund because then you're going to have two properties. And then that way you just have more cash available if God forbid something happens. And do you have an idea like on what what that number should be that we get to. I was going to try to do a little bit more research, but I, I was thinking if I get to 30, 35 grand, that yeah. probably good. I think that would be pretty good. Um, it's like hard to know because it just depends on the property, what things are going to cost, you know? So my scary story, which is a true story, is I had a sewage issue on one of my properties and sewage lines aren't covered with your traditional insurance. So that ran me 30,000. Oh my. <laughs> So, but I would say up until that point, all of the things, like the most expensive thing was a roof. I think that was like 10000 So it just depends on what needs to be done on the property. But I think I would say, yeah, somewhere between thirty and 40000 would be comfortable. Worst case scenario, you run into something major or massive like I did. Um, you could deal with it at the time. You could use a 0% APR card, right, would be your absolute worst case. And then, or you could pay more in rent, right, because you're living rent free and then help offset it that way. But there, but I would say, I would say somewhere between 30 and 40,000. Okay. So you won't be that far off and you should be able to save that. Um, you know, especially with what you're saving now, you know, what you have coming in on the current property and then what you're saving from the COVID budget. It's about 1100 a month besides what you don't use during the month. I guess one question I have for you is when you look at emergency funds, are you looking at purely cash? Because I guess one thing I look at is, in a worst case scenario, I have access to more assets by virtue of you know, tapping into my HSA, tapping into my Roth IRA, or tapping into the equity in my house. Now, you know, I would never want to do that, but in a very, very worst case, you know, I need I need money to stay in my house. Um, you could do that. Is that something that you take into account when you're coming up with an emergency fund? No, I really look at like what I think you need as a cash holding and not using those because those to me are like worst case scenarios. I would say 
the order I would do it is target the emergency fund. Then from there, you could take um, equity out of the house, but you could run into, because did you put the equity in your current home? Did you put 20% down? Yeah. Okay. So then you could probably tap into it. Not everyone does that. So sometimes it's not an option depending on what your loan to value ratio is. And then the last thing, and I almost never recommend it would be to borrow from your um, 401k. But I, that to me, that would have to be like a very dire situation. Thanks. I like to protect the retirement <laughs> so much. I like don't ever want to touch it because I feel like not that it's a habit, but I like to think of that as like future money. And if it means that you're going to like lose your house and, you know, they're going to foreclose on it. Yes, obviously, then we need to consider using the 401k. But if it's something not like that, I wouldn't go near it. I always think it needs to be protected. Perfect. And then the emergency fund is really easy to come up with a number when you're just worried about your own personal expenses. But the way that I like to look at it the, with your property is you're running two small businesses. <laughs> Essentially. Right? Essentially. So, you know, your what you would need for six months of expenses, you know, basically, let's say the 2700 you shot for a year would be 32000 to cover yourself if you lost your job with just your expenses. Um, but that's why, so I think somewhere between thirty and 40000 would be a comfortable number because you're running these, you know, two real estate ventures, right? Your investment properties, plus you have yourself and you're supporting it with your job. And so I think that would be a conservative number to have liquid. And then, you know, then you have your fallbacks from there. I would say the first fallback and the most prudent would be uh, using some of the equity in your home if, God forbid, there was an emergency. Okay. Yeah, well, that's exciting. So you like the investment property route. Yeah, I really like it. I'm just taking it kind of day by day. I don't have plans to necessarily go and buy 10 properties, <laughs> but uh, two didn't seem too bad. So. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a nice way to supplement your income and you're building equity in those properties. Um, so I think that's fantastic. And then you know, down when you go to retire down the road, you could always sell them and then you have additional money. Um, because basically the tenants are paying the, ideally the tenants are paying your mortgage, right? So that's the hope. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then, so you have a lot saved, you've done a good job saving for, um, retirement for, you know, for, cause you're 27. So that's a fantastic number. And the fact that you're about to buy your second investment property, um, so how much are you putting in? What percentage are you putting into your 401k? Sure. I put in 6% of pay um, and I put in 3% Roth and 3% traditional. Nice. Split it up. Okay. And then your employer contributes? 10%. Wow. That is fantastic. Really yeah, yeah. You're really lucky. lucky. So you're at a 16% savings ratio, which is fantastic. And do they match on your bonus too? Uh, yes. Awesome. Man, that's fantastic. It's all about the benefits, right? So that really means you're making a lot more because if your bonus in 2020, you said was 17000 Yeah. And so your company matched 10% on that? Yeah. So um, yeah, it would have been additional 1700 Yeah. That's fantastic. In addition to what they're matching on your salary. So they're putting in like about 11000 for you a year. Awesome. Yeah, which is great. Um, that really adds up. Okay, perfect. All right. So you're nailing the retirement. We have, you have a good savings ratio for retirement. I love the investment 
property idea. I do it myself. I think it's a great way to grow your net worth. As long as you're, sounds like you know what you're doing. Just as long as you're cautious, screen tenants, have cash. Um, so what else do we have going on here? I see some upcoming expenses. So I think my big fear is right now, I feel like I'm in very good financial shape, but mm-hmm. I just look kind of three to five years in the future and I see a bunch of big expenses and all of a sudden I go from saving, you know, 2,500 or, you know, $2,600 a month to not saving anything based on <laughs> what I'm looking at. So that's, that's where you come in. Um, so my car is pretty much at the end of its life. Um, so I'm looking either this year or next year to buy a new car. Okay. Uh, and I would expect that to increase my expenses. I was looking at like a, maybe an $18,000 car. Um, and that'll increase my expenses by close to 400 a month. Okay. Um, I'd also like to move into a single family house uh, within the next you know, three to five years. Okay. Um, and I was looking at the prices, at least in this area, it's really expensive if you want to be in an area with a good school district. Okay. So you're looking at houses, you know, if you want a three or four bedroom house, you're looking at fairly modest houses. Or maybe I shouldn't say three or four bedroom is modest, but you're looking at you know, 1800 square foot house is $350,000. Um, and I was looking at the mortgage with that. That's like just 2400 a month, just in mortgage. Um, yes. And then additionally, I guess the final big one is, um, you know, I'd expect, would like to have a child within the next five years. And I was looking at the child care costs and the other costs associated. And so, you know, you can easily see an increase in my budget of, over $2,000 if I don't make adjustments. <laughs> okay, well, these you're definitely a planner. I can tell you're an actuary. <laughs> so yes, all very good concerns, um, but all, I would say, things that you want to do, right? And you know, this is nothing extravagant, having a child paying for childcare. Um, I think that one thing you're not looking at is that if you move out of your, we'll just call it apart, you know, apartment, that you would rent that out, right? Yeah. And so wouldn't that probably make more than 600? Um, so realistically, so right now it's the the market rent for this place is probably 12 to 1300 a month. Yeah, okay. Um, but my boyfriend pays half, pays 600. So that's why I kind of accounted my expense at 600. Got it. So presumably okay. if he moved out, he would, you know, be still making some contribution towards the new house. So basically okay. his contribution and mine would just be shifted over. Okay, so if it was twenty four hundred, we'll just say for the single family, uh, let's say he pays eight hundred. Yeah. Um, so that leaves you with sixteen hundred. But then, shouldn't the rent increase on, or did you account for that with that property? So, like, if you're not living there, if I'm not then, living there, at most I think I'd get an extra hundred a month. In your into your budget would be one hundred. Yeah, because we'd go from right now. Because basically when I count how much the house is making, it's assuming I'm paying 1200 a month between my wife and I in rent. So once we move out, maybe we can get 1300 1300 Okay. Not a huge difference. Okay. I'm just trying to think. So you basically your house expense would double, right? Because you would go from paying 600 to each paying 1200 would he be able yeah, to pay well, $1,200? Or... I don't think my boyfriend could afford to pay 1200 $1, Okay. So like likely I was thinking, you know, so 800 maybe would be a stretch. And so maybe I'd pay the remaining 1600 And then on top of that, you have additional, you know, not paying just your mortgage. You also have additional expenses. Yeah, you have taxes and insurance. Yeah. Oh, so to be um, clear, I'm sorry, the 2400 includes taxes and insurance. Oh, it does. Okay. 
Yeah, so it's yeah. monthly payment for mortgage, taxes, insurance, and trust. It just doesn't include, you know, your hot water tank goes, and now you have to replace mm-hmm. that. Yeah, it doesn't include income utilities. It could help. It could potentially help be offset by the uh, this new property that you're having if you make five to seven thousand a year. Yeah, that could help. Right, that could kind of negate some of that cost, so it's not as much of an increase. Yeah, I think that would definitely help. As you know, assuming I am able to make five to seven a year. Yeah, because that would be another six hundred a month, right, coming in. Yeah. And maybe then, maybe then if your boyfriend's living with you and you're paying more, maybe then he handles the mowing of the lawn and the snow removal at the other property to save you the 300. That would be great. A month, right? Because that would be like, you don't have the money, but maybe you can help out in other ways. And so then that way, that house is still, you're making a profit of 600 a month. And then the other house that you're going to buy, the future house is 600 a month. So that brings in 1200 a month to you, right? And then the new house cost is 2400 you cover half of that with the investment properties that you have yeah right so then your expense doesn't go up quite as much it goes up but now you have you know a single family more space right so your expenses are going to go up but they're offset so you're not shouldering the whole expense by the two investment properties and i think that initially maybe even if you take turns doing the property management, that's a nice monthly savings, right? Of 300 a month that would help offset the new single family if that's the route you go. Yeah, I think that definitely would be helpful. Um, and then childcare is just really expensive. Yeah, that's when I'm coming to learn. I had coworkers yeah. talking about it and I was like, wait, it costs how much? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it costs a lot. I would say some, like I just talked to someone recently and they said they were able to find um, like someone who does it out of their home, they only take on so many children. It's like not as formal, right? Um, and then that that was they were able to get some savings from from that. But yeah, childcare in general is really expensive, and so I definitely think it's worth absolutely worth planning for. But you could also, I know you said you're like probably reaching the higher end of your your income, but you do have that wiggle. Like right now, you are able to save that amount of money. And so maybe in the future, you're not able to save as much. But since you know that that's coming up down the road, I would save as much as you can between now and then. And then childcare isn't permanent, right? So that would be an expense you would pay until the child goes to school. So that would be a temporary increase. But if you know that you're planning on having a child in the next five years, then you can start saving for it in advance to kind of help buffer that. Basically, what the child would go to uh, childcare from six months to four, four and a half. Right. So like four years, maybe you plan for. So you could help buffer that expense where maybe you've saved part of that money up. And so then that way it's not as much on your monthly because you set aside a fund for childcare in the future. And do you suggest saving it for in a, like an actual fund designated to that? I've traditionally just kind of saved everything in one giant mess, but would you prefer I like, that separate? I like naming things like with savings. Like I like to segment them out, which is for me, it's easier to, I like to be able to visualize it. And so to be able to see it line item for me has been easier. Um, but whatever works for you, I think that since you have all those expenses coming up on the future and you don't think your income is going to be growing significantly in the next five years, you're doing all the right things. You're going to offset basically, you're going to help support 50% of what you want in a single family home, like what the mortgage amount is going to be, what you're going to need to spend with your investment property. So I think that's fantastic. You have a lot of saving capacity right now. You're doing a great job on retirement. 
you're doing a great job investing outside of retirement with the investment property. So saving more cash so that you don't feel as much pressure when these life events come up, I think would be great. And um, I normally say you don't invest your money unless you have a two-year time horizon. But since some of this is five years out, you could even invest it into a regular investment account, meaning not a retirement account, your own private investment account. Um, and so that that money could be exposed to the market if you wanted it to and not just sitting in cash, but either is fine. Um, and the only reason I would say to not that you don't have to have it in cash is because of the time horizon that it's, you know, you're, you're earmarking it for five years out. It could be four years. It could be six years, right? We don't know. Um, and when you get a little bit closer, when it's like less than a two-year time horizon, you probably need to reevaluate that. But for right today, with today's information, I would say you could invest that extra money into the market and, you know, let it grow. And then that way you have that earmarked for, you know, potential childcare expenses down the road or, you know, five years, a lot can change, right? So you have time for it to grow. And then if you you know, know you're going to be ready to have a child, then I would be a lot more conservative with that money. But that's another option too. I guess one thing to add, I said, I know I said my uh, income was starting to level out. I still think within the next five years or so, it'll still likely grow. Um, I think like 125 is usually where it starts leveling out for actuaries. Okay. Um, would you kind of take that into account when you're looking at your expense, future expenses? Yeah, absolutely. Because that's another on your base salary. You think it could go to one twenty five on your? Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure. I think that may be over the next, you know, five to seven years. Yeah, so that's another twenty five thousand dollars a year. That would definitely take care of childcare. Okay. And it would also cover the car. Yeah. And no one has ever said to me, "I've saved too much money." I haven't had anyone ever <laughs> say that to me. No one's ever been like, you know, shoot, I wish I didn't. But, you know, save so much money. It's never happened. <laughs> and do you think it's a bad idea to finance the car? That's what I'm leaning towards. Like, or would you prefer to save up for it and buy it and cash my thoughts or as long as I can get a low interest rate to go ahead? And I would say as long as you can get a low interest rate, just because you have been so diligent with everything. So, you know, if someone who is like totally debt ridden, I would not encourage taking out an additional loan. But I mean, you don't have any debt. You have mortgage debt, but those are for invest, you know, your investment properties, those are strategic. So I would see no issue with you getting a low interest rate car loan at all. Awesome. Yeah. And But I would do, so what I would do in the near term is I would um, get your emergency fund back up after you get this next property, just so that you have more flexibility with cash, just God forbid something happens. Um, and obviously, if you're thinking like you might want to buy a single family house down the road, that cash, I would just start storing more cash because you're going to need another down payment in the future. Um, and while you have this such great wiggle room with your budget, you know, you like basically 2500 a month. So I would start saving that. And then that way you can get an emergency fund up and you can have another uh, series of cash for another down payment. And then I don't know that I would worry so much about the childcare and the house, because I do think, especially if you keep doing these exams, you will get your base salary up and that will be covered if you get up to 125. That's another, you know, it's actually another 29,000 a year. That's a pretty big jump. Okay. And so that, um, would, that would cover it. And then the alternative is also the fact that the properties, you know, if you do, if you continue to do, and you don't have to do it forever, but, you know, let's say 
when you go to buy the single family home, your your gross pay is up to 110. It's not at 125. Well, then do the property management on the property so that you save that extra 300. And then when you get the next raise and you can afford it, then you could get the property manager, right? Yeah. No, I'm perfectly happy to manage the property as long as I stay in Connecticut. I think the only thing that would change is if we moved out of yeah, state. Uh, yeah, that would make it really hard. Yeah. Then it would make no sense to drive or fly to do the lawn care, right? Um, exactly. So yeah, as long as you're there, I would save the money. But yeah, I would reevaluate it if you left the area. Um, but I don't think you're going to have any issue with the expenses in the future. I think you'll probably keep bumping up as you take your exams. Um, and then from now till then, I would just keep saving because if you want to buy another house, you're going to need the down payment money anyway. Yeah. So do you think like a two to three year time horizon horizon on the house is too soon then? No, I mean, because if you can save 2500 a month, um, that's 30,000 a year. Okay. So if you like, so let's just say, well, let's just pretend you've already used 40 for this next property. So you're down to 20. And then if you keep saving the 2,500 a month for the next two years, you're saving another 60,000 and then we'll just pretend you have 20. So that's it. Then you're at 80,000 in the bank. So you have money again for a down payment and then you still have a really healthy emergency fund. Awesome. And do you have any other kind of recommendations as far as things I should be saving for? No, I mean, I think you're doing a great job. You're probably the first person that's this young that's on, they're going to be on their second investment property. So kudos to you. Uh, Yeah, you're doing a really good job. I would definitely, especially because as you kind of pointed out, childcare is expensive, you know, life can get more expensive with those life changes. I would totally take advantage of the fact that you can save that 2500 and I would bite the bullet and do it for the next two years, save your bump up that emergency fund a bit because then you're going to have three properties and then you'll have money saved for your next down payment before life gets a little complicated. Awesome. That's what I would do. Because then, you know, childcare here is for one child. Like if you have two, you know, and then that way you kind of set yourself up before you were 30 for everything to kind of be on autopilot, right? Because at that point, let's just say there's another... Let's just give you a scenario with your retirement. So in the next two years, um, let's just use a hundred and yeah, a hundred. Let's do your, your bonus was 17,000. Your base is 96. So 113,000, you're putting in 6%. The company's putting in um, 10%. So we're at 16%. So you're putting in 18,000 between both. Right. Right. And then in addition to that, my employer maxes out my HSA each year. Which is phenomenal. So we'll yeah, just I... times that by two. So there's another thirty six thousand that's gonna go into your four oh one K. Um and so you're at one twenty seven now, right? Mm-hmm. Plus another so you're over a hundred and fifty thousand by the time you're twenty nine, right? Awesome which is fantastic. And so you've kind of, you've set yourself up because then you just 160. So you're at, at the age of 30. So then at 40, it's going to be 320. And then at 50, it's going to be 640. And then at 60, it's going to be, oh, math is getting, you'll be at 1.2 million, right? Yep. Almost 1.3 million. And then if you wait till 70, which you won't need to, it'll be at 2.6 million. And that's not including the investments or the HSA. 
uh, the investment properties or the HSA. So you've just really set yourself up because if that's 60 of 1.3 saved, that's without putting another dollar in. That's just from 29 on with it growing. If wow. it's er- disclaimer, because I have to do that, if it's earning 7.2% compounding interest, there's the disclaimer. But you see, and you have no debt, right? Other than the um, the mortgages for the investment company, the investments, but in real estate investments, but those are getting paid by the tenants. And yes, if no one pays rent, you can get into trouble, but it's you have a risk like that in any business. Um, but just with your 401k, if we just look at that projection and you didn't put another dollar in and your employer never contributed again past 29, that's the anticipated, you know, using that return of the value at 60. So if you buckle down for the next two years, you'll put yourself in a great position so that, you know, when you do have a child and there is that childcare cost, you can pause for a little bit and it's not going to disrupt your future plans. I guess the one thing to add is in order to get my full match, I have to contribute 6% of pay. Oh yeah, that's totally fine. But this projection is just saying if you didn't make another contribution after 29. Okay. Yeah, so you don't, let's just say, not that you would do this, but at the eight, so if you don't put another dollar in after 24 months from now, right, you do the full thing from now, 24 months out, and then you don't put another dollar in, that's what the value would be. So even if you just paused for a year or two, which you probably will be able to make it work, but if you thought about a worst case scenario, you're still going to be in a great spot for retirement because you buckled down and did all of this before you were 30. So you have the power of time on your hands, which you can't buy back. So yeah, you're in a good spot. So I would just do this for the next two years and bulk up your cash so that you have that great emergency fund and you have your next down payment ready to go. And then I would see where you are in after those two years versus what your salary is and where you are with family planning. And I think you'll be able to cover it with the rental income and the raise. I don't think you're going to feel as strapped as you're, as it projects out to be. Okay. That would be awesome. Yeah. And then worst case, you know, if you make that sacrifice where you're not going to save for retirement for two years or three years to help cover the cost of daycare, because that's what the budget has to be, which I would be very surprised about. You aren't derailing your retirement because you did such a good job pre-30. Perfect. Yeah. I've tried to keep my expenses down to make it really easy to save kind of in these early years. So even though my budgeting hasn't always been great, I've kept my, I think, fixed expenses really low. Yeah, I think you've done a great job. So I actually wouldn't even really worry about the food, drinks, and entertainment. If you can save the $2,500 a month that we talked about, which you're able to do with the black hole, I would just keep doing it. Um, okay. So I, cause you even had vacate, we even have vacation in there with the current budget. Yeah. So I don't, unless you feel like you're sacrificing too much, then I would go through and look and line item, like where's the food and drinks going. But if you feel like you're enjoying your life, then I would keep going. Cause if you can save the 2,500 a month, that's huge. That's 60,000 in the next two years. Awesome. Yeah. I'm all about really sacrificing in the beginning. I, that's what I did. I saved a ton of money in my 20s. And now speaking to you from my 30s, it was the best decision I ever made. Perfect. Hopefully I'll be there in a, a few yeah. years. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think it's totally worth it because my attitude on it was, you know, I'm not in the position where I have a ton of money anyway. So I might as well, if I'm going to be broke, I'd rather be like really broke and have and save a lot of money and just you know, not take taxis, not take Uber, like take the subway, walk a lot of places. So I just kept my budget like really, really low and just socked away a ton of money in my 401k. And to me, it was like the best thing I ever did. So I should probably add that 
the rent, uh, the place we're staying at is actually higher than what I initially been pushing for. Where I, I was trying to keep prices low, almost to a, a cost low, almost to a fault. Where I was trying to get my boyfriend to move into like a the smaller apartment that would have been nine hundred a month total. <laughs> he was like, "No, you're crazy. Like we can we can afford twelve hundred between the two of us." That's funny. I have so I have two rentals, and um, and then and then the one property is like kind of it's like a mother-in-law situation not like a pure separated utilities or whatever and so when I got this one my father is like you should move into the apartment and I like really thought about it and then I was like nah I've been saving for literally 15 years like I'm gonna live in the the bigger section he was like you should live in the basement I'm like no I think I've earned the upstairs at this point they've made like a lot of sacrifices to to do it so yeah it's okay to splurge a little too because you're doing a good job with the savings Awesome. Cool. Well, do you have any other questions for me? I think that's it. Okay, awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. It was great to chat about this. Thanks for having me. I appreciate all the advice. Yeah, absolutely. So for our lovely listeners, uh, the best place to follow us is on Instagram at Future Rich Podcast. And you can check out our online classes that are in partnership with SUNY Ulster at www.futurerichpodcast.com. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.